This is Les Strong, and you're listening to the Full and Focus podcast. Hello, welcome to the Full and Focus podcast. My name's Matt Boisclair, and boy, did it feel great to be back at Craven Cottage this afternoon. The lads absolutely did us proud too as they battled to win an excellent point which seemed unlikely at the start of the day but could and perhaps should have been all three after we held the lead for such a large part of the game. I've got Baldo and Mark with me to look back at the game and we'll also have a quick look ahead to the Brighton game on Wednesday night too. So let's get right into it. Fulham. Well lads, before we get into the game, I have to say it felt bloody good to be back at the cottage in person today. There's a 10-minute queue, a temperature check, and then straight to my seat 45 minutes before kickoff with no problems whatsoever. I don't mind admitting, too, that when the players came out to warm up, I felt a little bit emotional as it's been a long time coming getting back in the ground. And, of course, it was the first time we saw the players since they'd been promoted, too. There was a decent atmosphere from both the Hammersmith end and the Putney end, and I felt like the players responded to it right from the off, too. I'll just be disappointed not to be at the next game against Brighton on Wednesday. And it looks like London may well drop into tier three this week too, which makes going to games impossible again. Mark, you were at the game too. What was it like for you, mate? Hi, Matt. Yeah, it, it was fantastic. I mean, walking through Bishop's Park again and, you know, doing all your pre-match rituals and, and taking your seat, like you said, it, it was absolutely fantastic. And throughout the game, it, you just... Like you said, people were getting emotional and, and, and I could see it as well. It, it was difficult not to, given the circumstances um, and given the, the, the fitting tribute that we gave to uh, to Papa Booba Diop, which I, I thought was brilliant. And and, and yeah, I, I, there's nothing more I can say. It was so special being back there. I'll be honest with you. When I got a ticket for the Liverpool game, I thought, oh, that's the one I, I could have done without. It's Sunday afternoon. It's on the telly. I know all the games are on the telly anyway. But the weekends at the moment for me coming from Reading are just a bit of a, a pain in the bum because the M4 invariably has junctions shut. So you have to go the long way around. And I just could have done without it. But once I got into the ground, or what, even once I got outside the ground, I was I was really excited. I was like, oh, I'm so glad I'm here. And I just, something inside of me, I just felt like something good was going to happen today. And I, I felt like we were going to win. I, I don't know why, because, you know, Liverpool are one of the best teams in the world at the moment. But I just felt like we'd get something. Um, and and we did. We, we got a, an excellent point. Baldo, what was it like on the TV? Could you hear, the, could you sense the atmosphere? I could, absolutely. And I've been very, you know, prominent on these podcasts and in other pieces saying that, uh, the fans, you know, when we when they got back, it could be a bit of a problem because, as I've said, we are a frustrating team to watch at sometimes when we're passing the ball around the back, you know, mainly last season and the championship side then. But obviously a different atmosphere today, different occasion. And given the way the team started off the and the performance as a whole, we never really had that problem because the team played well and the fans and the fans responded well. So it was it all came together in perfect harmony, I thought. And Mark, just just a weird question for you, but how did you find wearing a mask in the ground and trying to sing and shout and chant? Well, it's a, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I've I've been covering games through work um, and and wearing a mask in the ground, but it's it's a different challenge when you're actually as a fan and, and trying to get out your best songs. Um, I thought the uh, the the funniest moment was the the first uh, your oh, ah of the, of the I don't know if I can say the word, but. The, the first time that happened and, and it was almost muffled. It was brilliant. Um, yeah, it, it was strange. But, you know, it's if it's the new normal for for a little while, um, then, then, you know, fine by me. 
It's just great to be back. Yeah, completely agree with you. Um, well, let's come on to the game then. And without meaning to sound like a broken record, we can't ignore the big tournament game, with that being that there was no Mitro in the squad at all. I can understand him being saved for the next two matches had he been burned out lately, but he's hardly featured at all. Do we have a problem here, in your opinion, Baldo? Although the club did report it as an injury sustained in training, but you know, you, you just don't know what to believe at the moment, do you? You don't know, and I'm... Don't want to put myself as an official conspiracy theorist, but I personally, I'm not believing that. You know, with the minor knock picked up in training, I think if you look at you know the way that he's been handled, I would not be surprised if this is you know a falling out between him and Scott Park. The fact that you know he's our main man has been our top scorer of the last two seasons and so on, now being treated you know as as an extra effectively because even because he he doesn't fit into our style of play now and. That's that's obviously a problem for him. That's why he's on the bench. And if this is, I honestly wouldn't be shocked if it came out that he's submitted a transfer request. That's just me buying into conspiracy theory. I have no like evidence or concrete thing to believe that. But personally, I'm not believing that it's a that's a that it's an injury thing. And to be and to be brutally honest, I'm not fussed at the moment because everything seems to be going well. You know, the plan A is working so well. I know you say that we need a plan B, but if plan A is working so well, it's not it's not a necessity at this point. There were times today. Obviously, this this seems to be our um, our new setup, but the next couple of games will will really be the, where the proof's in the pudding as to whether you know this is how we set up for every match or whether it's just against the the bigger sides. But there were times today when. We proved that we can keep the ball when we have to. And all right, our, our possession was minimal um, against Liverpool. But there were times when we, we kind of broke forward. Uh, there, there, were, there weren't enough players in the penalty area. So we just kept the ball, passed it back and just knocked it around for a bit. So we do have that in our locker as well. But I just wonder how that will look against Brighton on Wednesday. But you know, coming back to Mitro, we, we'll see how minor that injury in inverted commas is. Because you know, I think we're probably going to need him against against Brighton. I think that's the sort of game where where he he could potentially play. But Mitro aside, Fulham made a superb start to the game against Liverpool. Mario Lamina put a half chance wide. Even Cavalero bought two saves out of Allison. We may have had just twenty nine percent possession, but had four shots on target to Liverpool's one at the break. As Matt Dom said in the team chat in the first half. We'll probably still lose this game, but we've actually got a team here. What do you make of how we started the game, Mark? Well, yeah, I thought we um, we started brilliantly. There's been so much talk in, in recent weeks about how we've started uh, matches, conceding early. So it was nice to see us start on the front foot. I know that a lot of the fans um, understand that, that Fulham, you know, we, the main aggravation is that we know that this team can play well. They can play on the front foot. We've seen it so many times before. So, it's frustrating for us when we when we see them kind of cave it in early doors and, and it puts us in positions. It doesn't give us the right platform to, to get a result. But today what you saw is a positive start paving a platform for a result, regardless that a lot of the fans aren't, aren't um, happy that it ended as a draw. You know, a lot of people felt that we should have got the three points there. But like we said before, if you look at it on paper, that's a fantastic result to get. And it was built on the, that platform in the first 20 minutes. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, you know, French, you mentioned there the attacking chances we had, you know, Caviero with the with the two shots. I think he could have done better with the first one, but I'm not going to get too 
uh, bogged down with that. But I just want to say defensively minded, I thought we were absolutely superb. You know, what what are Liverpool known for? It's in particular with that front three. It's their counter-attacking play. And I thought we did an absolutely superb job in stopping it down. In, yeah, in stopping it. Mario Lamina in front of the back four just, and, and Anguissa to an extent as well, making sure there was uh, nowhere for them to really run into. You know, what was the stat? I don't know if it maintained through the first half, but they only had one. They didn't have a single touch in our box for a large part of the first half anyway. Um, so the fact that we managed to keep them out at that end as well was fantastic. Ola Aina was sliding into challenges. Everyone defensively was doing a great job as well as going forward. Just goes to show that we can actually do it and we we have got the players to, you know, imp- implement this style and and just to just to show a bit of passion for the for the badge and like like I said at the beginning I, I think having the supporters there just really brought that out of the players today um being inside the stadium we had our first taste of VAR when we won a corner only for a thorough check to take place it seemed to go on for ages I've I had my phone in my hand seeing what you guys were all saying at home because you had the benefit of the replays and a lot of you were saying definite penalties gone through the gone through the player Meanwhile, the Hammersmith end of the putt, the ender doing a slow clap. Andre Mariner goes over to check the screen and we're just waiting. We're just waiting for him to do the rectangle and point to the spot. And he just says, no, corner. Baldo, you've, I, I haven't had a chance to see it again. I've, I've literally just got back from the game. So as, as we're recording this, what did you make of it? Was it a penalty? In my mind, it was a penalty. I, in my mind, it was a penalty. And I think it was a clear one. But... The way this is all sort of broken down is, and there's, uh, if you if you can go on Twitter and find Jackie Oatley's Twitter feed, uh, the the broadcaster, she posts a, a GIF or a repeating video, basically of the shot behind the Hammersmith end, uh, behind the Putney end rather, and if you watch that repeatedly over and over again, you can see the case for whether or not you know um, Fabinho managed to get the ball, you know, just ahead of. Um, Caviero's you know, standing foot sort of thing and that's really what, what this boils down to, I know people have been criticising VAR, this isn't a problem with VAR, this is the referee itself, himself rather making a decision and saying you know, the initial decision was a corner and it's all about was there enough evidence to overturn whether or not it should be, you know, it should be a penalty and even you know, some of the debates, even Matt Arter in the team chat initially said no, I think he got there first. Patrice Evra on the uh, halftime show said, "No, I think I don't think that's a penalty." And that's all it is—the doubt. And if the referee isn't nine, isn't one hundred percent certain that he's got it wrong, then he can't really give it. That's where the clear and obvious comes in. So, should it have been a penalty? Yes, but in this instance, I can understand why. Again, letter of the law, breaking it down, interpretation. I can understand why he didn't overturn his initial decision. How about for you, Mark? Have you seen it again since you got home? Yeah, so um, like you, I was in the ground and had no idea uh, what had happened from my perspective. Um, I didn't even think anything of it. Um, so I was surprised when it went to VAR initially. Um, interesting being in the stadium when that all happened. Like you said, it's one of the first times we've seen it in action. The only other time I can compare it to or was um, uh, I was over in Portugal for England in the Nations League and there was a VAR call in that one. And that one was equally as difficult as, as this one. You know, when it's a penalty like this, and it is a penalty, make no uh, mistake about it, you're completely right in that border. I've looked at it again, and the detail isn't in his foot. The detail is in is in the thigh. 
and 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 as he steps in to make that challenge it's it's not where his foot ends up it's the way that he takes um the standing leg away and 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 in doing that he he completely um he completely takes him out so yeah it was a stonewall penalty for me but um like uh like Baldo said there the the detail is is whether it is clear and obvious and whether there is a, a mistake for me that is completely cause enough for the referee to uh, to to see that and we saw which um which uh shot of the tackle he saw i saw that on social media we, we could see which version of the of which camera angle he the referee got to see and the one he got to see for me was the most damning and he still made that decision so strange one for me i think in the coming days we'll hear a lot more about it as we always do with these kind of things well i, I said to the bloke who was uh, sat a, a seat but one next to me we're we kind of we've kind of got spoiled this year in in the sense that we weren't in the stadium because we have got to see everything again straight away. Whereas when you're in the ground, you're you're kind of thinking, well, I want to see that. I want to I want to make my own mind up. Like that Leicester one, for example, we got to see it straight away. And when they slowed it down, you know the referee's going to give the penalty for that. But when you're in the ground, you just kind of stood there clapping your hands, waiting for for the dis- decision to be making. And unfortunately, it it wasn't in our favour that time. But I know Jurgen Klopp. Has had a good old moan after the game um, about various decisions that didn't go their way, but it sounds from what you boys have said like that one did. So it doesn't sound doesn't sound like he mentioned that one conveniently for him. Anyway, let's move on. Adamola Lutman had a good chance um, in the first half, uh, but moments later in the twenty fifth minute, Bobby Reed scored the first goal at the Cottage in front of two thousand Whites fans this this Premier League campaign. Baldo, talk me through the goal. I thought I thought it was a fantastic goal, you know. Not it wasn't one of our better goals, you know. Olerain has probably scored our best goal this season, but it was a beautifully worked one. All the way from, you know, Lookman winning the ball back and playing an inch perfect pass through to Bobby Reed through a number of Liverpool defenders' legs. I thought it was superb. And Bobby and Bobby Reed as well with the finish. It's not the easiest of finishes, um, given the position he was in. And Allison is a very good goalkeeper, so to find the angle he did was superb. You may you may not have been in this, but there wasn't. You may not have sort of known this in the thing, but there was a little bit of a concern in the build up to it that uh, Mohamed Salah was pushed in the build up. Uh, to I don't know if again I don't know if you've been uh, privy to this. So I wasn't immediately celebrating because again when you hear it on TV, I saw the push. I think oh that's a bit off. The goal is scored, and the commentators are mentioning this will get brought back for VAR. So I was a little bit hesitant to start with. But then the fact that VAR didn't even go to check for it, or at least checked and it was over quite quickly, we didn't know. That was that was fantastic. So yeah, all round, one of one of the better goals we've managed to work this season. Yeah, uh, Baldo, just on that then, I saw that push as well. Um, and it just made me think of a wider note, even from where I was sat in the Hammersmith, I thought Liverpool were all over the floor today. I, I don't think that's kind of typical of, of their performance, but I thought Henderson played the foul fantastically well in the first half when he got Anderson booked. Um, he kind of went flying over that challenge. I think Salah was the same there with that with that push, which was over dramatic again. And I thought they got away with quite a few today. On the goal itself, take nothing away. The, the ball does sit kindly for, for Bobby, but he took it with, with some serious aplomb, didn't he? And, that's three straight games of the cottage he's, he's scored for us now. So in the absence of Mitrovic, I think he's doing really well for us. I don't buy into all of these uh, suggestions that he's kind of going to become our answer to 
well, whatever, <laughs> you know, I don't think he's a natural goal scorer and, and however much praise he does get, he, he has missed a lot of chances. I think he could have put us one it up before that goal with a, with quite a good chance, but you know, I'm pleased for him and, 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 you know, if he can keep scoring for us like this, then, then long may it continue. But he, he did really well at right wing back Mark as well, didn't he? Because there, there was a moment I remember, cause I was, I was kind of sat on that right hand side of, of the Hammersmith end today uh, where Olaina kind of, pushed up and didn't get back in time and he just stepped in and then he put a tackle in it was it was a really good shift from Bobby Reed I thought it's a new yeah, it's a new, no, dim- new new dimension to his game almost completely and and you can see you know he's got that history hasn't he of developing his game in different positions from his time at Bristol City so there's certainly a a, a player that Scott is going to be happy to work with in in that regard um I, we may get onto it uh, a little bit later but just a, a quick word to put in for the opposite flank and, and I thought Anthony Robinson had his best game in a Fulham shirt today um, I thought he he really came of his own and, and even in the 80 plus minutes you know the, the runs he was making the positive signs he was showing I thought he was really fantastic today Well Liverpool for all their possession lacked any real cutting edge particularly in the first half Mo Salah had their best chance just before the break when he shot wide. And of course, Firmino took a comical dive that the referee just ignored right before halftime. But as well as looking threatening going forwards, we looked tight at the back too. You've kind of uh, alluded to it already. But I have to say that I think, Mark, that first half performance was our best half of the season. Would you agree? For first half performances, yeah. I I think I do agree there. I think we were were resolute at the back. And and I think this kind of new new back five system that, that that is being put in. There's a lot said about it on the TV, but it's not as clear as just a back five because everybody seems to have different roles. I think um, Toshan in, 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 in there is going to play a real kind of... Uh, a real quiet role in that back three, but but boy was he good today! He just sweeping up and and really kind of taking a- any danger before it could happen. And against that front three, that it didn't look easy, but um, I can tell you that that you know they had a they had a good game today, and I think they enjoyed it. You could see them celebrating every tackle, every clearance, every offside call. They they were having fun out there, and and that's something you haven't been able to see from a Fulham defence in years. And how about you, Baldo? Best best first half of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Not just in terms of you know the the scoreline because you you can have that you can have that in games. You know you can have a fluky, mm. a fluky lead and and be leading, and then it come back to haunt you. But yeah, the chances we created, the defensive work, just all round performance. It was absolutely the best. Even, no, even better than West Brom when we were two 0 up. The fact that we were putting in such a great performance against you know one of the best sides in the country, arguably arguably the world as well, was just fantastic to see. As I said, something has clicked in this team. I don't know quite what it is. Maybe it's a maybe it's a like a mental and emotional thing something Park's got on the training ground. Maybe he's finally got the system that he wants and everyone in their right position. But something has just ever since ever since really the Brentford result in the League Cup, something has just gone in the in the player's mind to think, right, this is what we need to be doing. I think you're totally right there, Baldo. And I also think there is a real competition for places now in this Fulham team that has, hasn't been there for a while. I think for a long time, you know, even even with injuries, everybody knew what the, the Fulham best eleven was, especially for those years in the Championship, because the squad wasn't of the right calibre. But now, whereas before, you know, we were looking at uh, at Michael Hector and thinking that we were going to go into the Premier League with him as our starting centre back. All of a sudden, he's not even second string anymore. He seems to be third string or surplus to requirement. So we have actually got a, a kind of core unit in this team now that are fighting for their place because they know that 
when it goes right, it goes really well. And that you want to be a part of that. I think there was an interesting uh, point to make that six out of those starting 11 players were on loan, are, are on loan at the club. Um, I think you can read into that in different ways. Bear in mind the way Tony Khan does his business. I wouldn't you know, assume that all six of those would be leaving Craven Cottage at the end of the summer. I certainly think a few deals will be wrapped up for a couple of those players. But it just goes to show that even when these players are here on loan, they actually want to play. They want to, they want to you know, listen to Scott Parker. They want to put in these good performances. And it means that the other Fulham players have got to step up. They've got to compete to, to make it into this team. And for fans, that is all you want to see, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's interesting you say about Michael Hector, because I'd forgotten about him, actually. Uh, I think Tim Ream was on the bench warming up today. Um, so what's happened to Hector? Michael Hector is is too busy opening Call of Duty packages that get sent to him uh, and, and, and oh, sitting at yeah, home. Really? I, 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 well, that's all that seems to be on his social media. I absolutely love Michael Hector. I think he's a fantastic guy and he clearly has a lot to offer the dressing room. But whilst he doesn't get picked, it's, it's difficult for him, isn't it? So, you know, at the end of the day, it's, if it's Scott's decision to to leave him at home every week, then then it's an awful shame. But, you know, this is a cutthroat world. It's been a bizarre 18 months for him, really, hasn't it? After signing, but then not being able to play and then getting into the team and transforming us defensively for the second half of um, of the season. Or, you know, we had lockdown and all that. But um, then when he came back into the team after lockdown, he was he was outstanding. But then he just never got going in the Premier League, did he? And like you say, he's, he's down the pecking order now. So that's you know, uh... what's going to happen. That nutmeg uh, from was it Ben Rama yeah. uh, against yeah. Brentford? It, it's uh, it's difficult to put it down to one moment, but you know if if that's going to be your last input into the team, you know I, I can see why he's not playing. If if we're going off of that, it's a shame for him. Well, we're talking about defending, and after plenty of backs to the wall defending this afternoon against Liverpool, where every player to a man put their bodies on the line. Let's be honest. Fifteen minutes after the break, Liverpool did get in behind the defence, but. Ariola made the save of the match down to his right when it looked certain to be a goal. I was I was just waiting for the net to ripple and somehow he's got his hand to it. And uh, again, I haven't seen it again, but but the lads, you guys in the in the team chat were saying that that's why Ariola was a, a Champions League goalkeeper. Baldo, you were watching the game on the telly. To talk to me about that save. Outstanding, wasn't it? Yeah, I was I was the same as you. I was just waiting for the net to bulge because um, it was uh, Jordan Jordan Henderson through, and I thought, you know, it, if it had been one of the front three, someone like Matt, uh, Salah, Mane, or Firmino, it probably does go in. But he did absolutely superb in you know, given the situation he was in. And I know there's been a lot of talk, and there was a lot of talk about the whole Rodak and you know, have we treated him badly by bringing him in? I think not not just this game, but the past couple of games have shown that that debate is pretty much over. Um, the fact that Ariola has been arguably one of the best signings we've made this season. I don't think he's really put a foot wrong. I know we've talked in the past, uh, we've talked in the past glowingly about him, but he just seems to be getting better and better every single game. And the, yeah, there was a moment where he just came and claimed a cross as well. And I don't know, he's, he seemed to get so far off the ground to, to me when I was watching it. And it was. It's, it's just great to see a goalkeeper. We we said it so many times. Who commands his penalty area? But I've always loved a goalkeeper who doesn't punch everything, but he'll just come and grab the ball, and it just completely takes a sting and pressure out of a situation. And he did that today, and 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 it was superb. And yeah, what a save that was! Outstanding. Um, the first change of the day for Fulham was Ruben Loftus Cheek, who came off uh, Abubakar Kamara in the seventy fourth minute. 
Then the moment that the referee had been waiting for ever since not giving us that penalty in the first half, he gives one to Liverpool. For handball, Liverpool had a free kick on the edge of the box. AK-47 jumped up, handled the ball, and of course, Mohamed Salah scored the penalty. Two questions here. The first one is, was AK-47 at fault? Again, I haven't seen it, so um, apart from in the ground, could, did, did he jump awkwardly? What, what, was he was he stupid for jumping in the way that he did? And secondly, could Ariola have done a bit better with a penalty, Mark? Um, to the first question, um, I I think you know it's difficult, but unfortunately, I, I think it is a penalty uh, for me. I don't like it when players in the wall, um, you know, use their hands. It's it's all very well to use your hands uh, for momentum, trying to get a good leap into the air. But if you have your hands up this high, you know, by shoulder height, um, it, it's inevitable, you know, players might even be looking for it. Uh, who knows, you know. Um, so if you're going to be putting your hands up there, you, you're asking for it. The second question there, could have Ari- could Ariola have done better? I think he could have. Um, I said it in the chat at the time. I thought he was dancing around on his line um, unnecessarily. I understand that he wanted to, you know, pump himself up, but I think maybe, you know, there's there's something to say that maybe his little dancing meant that Salah made a weaker attempt and that's why it kind of went to him. But even so, he's got to stop that for me. Um, if he hadn't have been going from foot to foot, he wouldn't have been caught so flat-footed on, on the left side and then he would have been able to propel himself over the relatively short distance to, to stop the penalty. Um, as it happens, he wasn't balanced. He wasn't on, the, on his toes uh, and, and the penalty goes in. So uh, a slight blemish on his performance for me. Um, but overall, like Baldo said there earlier, I thought he was um, uh, fantastic for 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 everything else. Yeah, I agree. Sort of every every word that you said. It definitely was a penalty in this day and age. You know, it, the penalty was given without VAR. But even in the world of VAR, Abubakar Kamara has got to be smarter and got to know the rules to know in that situation. You, you just don't do that because because you are just asking for trouble. Um, I know Kamara. He's coming for a lot of stick on this podcast for like his mental decisions and you know his decision making and that's and that's probably one of them you know you've you've got to do better than that in regards to Ariola yes he probably should have done better as you know despite the glowing review that I've that I've given him but in in a sense I don't want to get into to like the the mentality of the penalty and sort of thing but if he'd have died it was a penalty straight down the middle and, and just a yard to the side so if if he had stood still, he probably wouldn't have got it anyway because he like wouldn't have been reacted to. So I'm not going to be too critical of him over that. Okay, mate. Well, Harrison Reed came on for Mario Lamina right after the goal. Then Joe Bryan came on for Lutman two minutes before the end. But Liverpool, for all their possession, rarely threatened our goal. They they spent a lot of time in the attacking third, but apart from that save that Ariola had to make, and then the penalty, did he have that much to do? I don't think he did. Then again, in the second half, we offered very little going forwards, apart from right at the beginning of the second half when we had a good chance when the ball kind of hit Cavalero. In the end, superb point, right, Mark? Yeah, absolutely a superb point. Um, like I said earlier, it's uh, it's difficult because I'm sure we all wanted three from from that position that we were in in the game. But, you know, on reflection, um, I think I think we did ourselves proud there. Um, I think it was a fitting uh tribute to Papa Booba Diop. Um and I thought it couldn't have uh, have gone much better. Like I said, if we'd have got the three points it'd have been the cherry on the icing. But 
you know, it was, it's so nice to be back at the cottage and, and to get that result, which, you know, it's, it's been a long time since we've, we've done something like that at home against one of the top teams in this country. Um, and, you know, a very, a very long time trying to think back to it now. So it, it felt, it felt good on so many different ways. And Baldo, those three games that we had when we were talking a few weeks ago, where, where we were talking about, you know, how, how many points are we going to get from Leicester away, Man City away, Liverpool at home? The season starts after those three games. But bloody hell, we've only gone and got four points out of it and feel a little bit hard done by, but maybe we should have got six. I was going to say, yeah, it even goes back to that because I know in that in that run of four, we were talking about Everton as well. So it's, yeah, four points from the from the daunting four games. Absolutely, you were saying, you know, everyone was going into it saying, let's just, you know, damage limitations so long as we can keep it within, you know, without going minus 10 in goal difference over the four games, then that'll be absolutely superb. But the fact is to get four points out of it. And as you say, six, it's fantastic. It just shows what sort of team performance this can be we can put in but it does come with the caveat all this is well and good but we do have an an easier looking run of games coming up with brighton newcastle if this is all going to be for nothing if we if we don't turn up on uh wednesday night and then next saturday against those two teams so we have to make sure that we keep this up if we do if we perform the way we have in these past four games you know, not just in the next coming game, but for the rest of the season, we'll be absolute. We'll, we should be absolutely fine. But that's going to be the key: is making sure we keep up this intensity and this mentality throughout. Well, incredibly, we prevented Leicester from going top. Then we prevented Liverpool from going top. But bloody hell, Burnley have only gone and won at Arsenal just as we're recording this, so we're back in the bottom three. It feels like ah. Oh, I know it's only temporarily, potentially, but it feels like a little bit of a, a kick in the teeth at the end of the day where we've, where we've had a really good day. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, you can't look to other teams' results too much, but um, I think I said it the last time I was on this podcast, I still believe there are three teams uh, in the Premier League that uh, are worse than us, um, and I still believe that Burnley are one of them myself. Um, I think that that is a good result for them, obviously, and they'll be happy with that. Um, on the face of it, it looks like a relegation six-pointer, doesn't it? With the way that Arsenal are performing, uh, and, and I noticed yeah. it was an own, it was an own goal for Aubameyang as well. So uh, at least he's broken his duck after so many games without a goal. Um, but but no, it, it, Scotty Scotty and the team won't look too much into that. I'm sure uh, the classic response is to just go out, focus on the next game in front of you, and that's another massive game against Brighton. That for me, uh, it has to be three points. Well, we'll come on to the Brighton game shortly, but. The players came over to us um, at the end of the game today and we, we had to stay in our seats, as, as we kept being told. Stay in your seats at the end of the game and you'll be told when you can leave. And I was still in the ground when uh, when Scott Parker came over to the Hammersmith end and he got a, good, a, a really good reception. That was nice to see because, you know, uh, it's not it's not been the easiest season for him so far. And, and it wasn't the easiest season for him last season, to be honest. There were still people on his back, even though we were top three, top four for, for a lot of it. Um, and of course, we got the job done last season and he seems to be getting the job done this season as well, Baldo. Absolutely. Now, as I mentioned earlier, with the team suddenly clicking and it's a point I, made, I think I've made on this podcast before, but if you want to use the analogy, basically the first like five or six games of the season were basically our pre-season games where we tried to work out all the little looks and crannies. And it just so happened that 
it happened on you know on national TV and and everything like that. But now that he's finally got you know a, he's got the summer and the time with the players to work everything out. Everything's just coming up roses for him, you know. But with the cap, but with the caveat that we have to be able to carry this on, otherwise all the good feeling and all the you know, good sense around Scott Parker will will probably start to turn again if. Like against Brighton and Newcastle, we lose three 0 for in, in both of them. Then it'll start to be, oh, is he really the man for the job? Because that's the way football fans are. Who's your man of the match then, mate? Um, none of them. I it's a team award for me personally. I I don't think you can really single out any single player for the game. I know it's probably a cop. It's it's a it's a cheap out and it's a cliche, but. I don't think there was one man that really performed badly, and I don't think there was one man that stood out above anyone else. So I'd, I'd say give it to the team. All right. Well, for me, I, I, I sort of agree with you. I can't, I can't pick a man of the match, but I think there was a man of the half. The first half, I think even Cavalero was superb. It's the best I've seen him play for a long, long time. Um, all right, he missed those two chances, but he was just instrumental in everything going forward on the counter-attack. I thought he was outstanding. In the second half, he was anonymous. Um, but then our attacking threat in the second half was anonymous as well. Uh, and in the second half, I'd give it to Ariola just for that save that he made. Um, and it, it was just one save, to be honest. So perhaps in the, in the second half, it should be the Fulham defence or just the way that we defended as a team as well, because we were outstanding. How about you, Mark? Any any one individual stand out for the whole 90 minutes? It's difficult, isn't it? Because you, as soon as you think of one player, then another springs to mind and you feel bad not giving it to them. Um, but I said earlier that I thought that was Anthony Robinson's best game in a Fulham shirt, and I stick by that. So um, I'm going to give it to him. I, I just thought the way he um, he 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 controlled that. Let's, let's be real here. This guy was playing for Wigan. Um, this time last year, uh, no disrespect to Wigan, but going from 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 those wingers down there to to, to playing against you know Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, I think he stepped up fantastically. And I've been not critical of Robinson, but I haven't been as impressed as as others have been um, in the first couple of months of him joining the club. But I thought that was to hit the cliche on the head, you know, a real coming of age performance for him. Um, and fingers crossed, he can uh, he can really nail down that place as his own. All right, mate. Well, we're going to come on to a Scott Parker rating then, and um, I think I'm I'm going to go I'm going to go for a nine. I think he's gone toe to toe with possibly the best manager in the world at the moment, um, and he, he's he's done a job. He's he's done a job on Liverpool today, and pretend you know we we could have got three points. We we could and maybe should have got three points today, um, but the way he set up. We stifled them and we we got the goal that we needed. We probably should have had a, a bigger lead at half time, if truth be told, from the chances that we had. And um, yeah, nine out of ten for me. Even better than than the performance against Leicester when I, I only gave him an eight and and the other lads gave him a ten. Um, but I, I thought this was better than the Leicester game uh, in terms of the performance today, just because of who we were up against. Um, Mark, what about you? Out of ten for Scott Parker today. Uh, I'm going to give him an eight out of ten. I thought he he scared me a little bit with the substitution, the first one, uh, Kamara for for Ruben. I thought uh, Loftus Cheek had p- p- provided a lot of good physicality in that midfield. Whether he took him off for tactical reasons um, or just to reserve him, um, then that's a different matter. But yeah, I, I still thought, like you said, 
fantastic performance um, on 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 the tactics board from from Scott and the whole coaching staff as well. Um, because I I think you know I, I noticed it today because I, only because I hadn't been there in so long. But you forget about that coaching staff of Stuart Gray and and the whole team there, and and they're living through this team right now, and you can see it in every way. You can see the way the players are. are, are, are working things out in the moment and they're doing it alongside that coaching staff and so uh yeah i'll give, I'll give him i'll give scott an eight out of ten okay mate and how about you baldo um it's a 10 for me for every single reason that you gave frenchy the fact that he's gone toe to one of the best manager and again there's only so much that a manager or a head coach can do when setting things up you know it's not his fault that even caviero missed two you know, pretty good chances in the first half. It's not his fault that Kamara gave away gave away a, a cheap penalty, but he set us up to you know get a point and get a win. And the players somewhat let him down, but you, but again, you can't really fault him for that. Um, for everything you said, but 10 for the fact that he's managed to rattle Jurgen Klopp in, because um, I don't know if you've seen the press conference quote afterwards, where basically Jurgen Klopp's complaining about the way that we managed to play. It was, this isn't the way the Fulham play. It was all long balls sort of thing. And I just thought that was, incre- that was incredibly funny because it just gives me, it just gives me the, the picture of Jurgen Klopp all week has been saying, oh, we're going to set this way up, this way up, this way up again against Fulham and then Scott Parker says no you don't sunshine let's go something different so he's rattled Klopp so even though I am pro Jurgen Klopp I thought that was funny so it's a 10 from me yeah well let's um, let's just end it on this then piss off Jurgen right so we're going to come on to a Brighton preview in just a second so normally we do a separate Brighton preview podcast but because of the quick turnaround this week we're going to put it all into one show so right after this we'll have the Brighton preview Fulham. Right then, lads. So it's the Brighton game on Wednesday. There'll be another 2,000 Fulham supporters in the ground. A different 2,000 Fulham supporters, I should imagine. I'm certainly not going to this one, although I really wish I was. I really, I've, I've got the bug again now. I really, I really want to go again. Mark, what will the lineup be? Do you think it'll be the same or do you think that Scott will try and take the game to them? Um, yeah, I think it'll be the latter. Like I said this earlier, I think this is a game that's must win for Fulham. Um, I think with Burnley's result, um, I think, you know, we need to, we're showing, we're playing the way a team should play that aren't going to be involved in a relegation scrap. So now it's time to actually get the points on the board um, and, and show that we can uh, do that. Brighton got a great result against Liverpool, 1-1 at home with a draw. So, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be no uh, no easy team to, to push over. But I think Scott's got to get his um, got to get his tactics board right again. Whether we stick with the back five because the, the, the team is working in that way or whether we uh, we go back to, to something a little bit more familiar from the earlier parts of the season where we played with more kind of forward momentum on the front foot. I think it's uh, one that they've got to work out. But I'd like to see them go all out for this one and uh, and hopefully, you know, <laughs> score score a couple of goals. Well, I was listening to the radio in, in the car on the way home and, and Brighton had won one of their last nine games. So I assume that's one of their last 10 now, having lost quite comprehensively at Leicester this evening, as we record on Sunday evening. Um, so they've, they've got to be beatable. Baldo, how about for you? Um, I'd say, I'd say stick with it. I was going to say you yeah. don't change you don't change a winning formula, but ironically, we've just drawn a game and lost the previous one. But it's the same sort of thing. And I think this this is a team, and you saw with Liverpool, you saw against Liverpool earlier. 
this is a team and this is a setup, even with, you know, five at the back, we can attack with this formation. So I don't see any reason why we can't, why we can't do exactly the same and take the game to Brighton in this manner. You know, so unless anyone picks up an injury, uh, an injury in training on Monday or Tuesday, although you think given the turnaround, it wouldn't be much, it wouldn't be a, a heavy training session. But as long as that doesn't happen, it'll, I'd assume it'd be the same team. But Brighton are playing Dan Burnett left wing back. Yeah, there's plenty. Yeah, there's plenty of chances to. Yeah, you'd think that that's a ripe to be exploited because Dan yeah. Burnett was exactly the quickest of players. So uh, Bobby Reed and you know even to an extent Ola Aina and Lookman and Caballero. That right hand side for us is is ripe for exploitation. So hopefully we hopefully we try and do that. I'd even say Abubakar Kamara could probably attack Dan Burn and have some success. Silence. Yeah. Okay. Well, jump on that one. Sorry. Right. I'm gonna come on to some stats now. So Stato has sent me over some stats for Brighton. So let's have a quick look at these. So our record against Brighton: Fulham have won 23 games, Brighton have won 22, and we've drawn five. That's our record against Brighton. So we're slightly ahead. So let's hope we extend that on Wednesday evening. We've only played Brighton eight times since the beginning of the century um, and only two of those games came in the Premier League. That was two seasons ago where we had that two-all game when we were 2-0 up at the Amex. And then, of course, we beat them 4-2 at the Cottage uh, when we we were, I think we were 2-0 down in that game when Callum Chambers, Mitro got a couple and the forgotten, the much forgotten Luciano Vieso got the, the fourth goal of that game. Um, other than the 4-2 win back in 2019, the last home win over Brighton we got was back in uh, November 1996, which was a 2-0 win as we went on to get promoted from the old Division 3. Last season, four out of Brighton's nine wins came against teams in the bottom three. The two wins they have this season have both come in away games. 61% of the goals they've conceded have come in the second half and 67% of the goals they've scored have come in the second half. So uh, the, their their games kind of come alive in the second half, it would look like. Uh, 27% of the goals they've scored have come from penalties as well. Uh, their key players, Neil Morpay, of course, the ex-Brentford forward, uh, who's um, who has scored at the Cottage before. You won't need reminding. Um, he managed 10 goals last season in his first spell in the Premier League. Um as I just said, he was scored from Brentford where he managed 25 goals in one season for them in the championship. Um, they've also got Pascal Gross, who's got two goals and two assists so far. Um, he was signed in the 17-18 season, um, had an absolutely outstanding year in his first season where he scored seven and assisted eight, but hasn't had much of an impact in more recent seasons. And they've also got Ben White, who is a 23-year-old English centre-back who spent last season on loan at Leeds and was the subject of an ongoing transfer saga over the summer, but ultimately committed his long-term future to the club by signing a new contract. And it will be him, along with Lewis Dunk, Aaron Webster, and probably Dan Byrne, as we said, in the the back three, who are all experienced centre-backs at this level. So, as I said, it's a quick preview for Brighton this week because we're recording on Sunday night quite late after the Liverpool game. So, we're going to come on to a prediction for the score. So, Mark, what are you thinking for this one? 
Um, I think there's going to be goals in it. Um, Q and nil-nil, obviously, after I've said that. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I think there's going to be goals in it. And, and, and fingers crossed we get the majority of them. I'd love to see us keep a clean sheet in this game as well. So I, I'm going to predict us to match uh, Leicester's uh, performance against Brighton and, and get a 3-0 win. Oh, clean sheet and three goals. Like your style. That would be lovely. I, I think I'm going to go for 2-0. How about you, Baldo? Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you, Frenchie. I'm going to I'm going to go 2-0. I think so long as we can get an early goal, you know, it wasn't too early this, but as long as we can get an early goal, I think that'll just settle a few nerves. So, yeah, as long as we get that, 2-0, that's where I'm going. Any prediction on who's going to get the early goal for us, Baldo? You know what? Just to make you happy, I'll say Mitrovic. <laughs> let's hope so hope he's back i really hope he's back all right guys that's your lot then thanks for joining me both of you and thanks to you guys at home for listening christmas is well on its way now and i hope if you went to the game you enjoyed it as much as i did and to those of you going to the brighton game get behind the lads and bring home the points J mac will be back with the brighton reaction on thursday morning so be sure to tune into that i meanwhile will speak to you soon merry christmas Cheers. Fulham.